My first trip to Sierra Leone turned out to be life-changing. I was privileged enough to see firsthand the love that the people of Freetown in Sierra Leone have for Aisha Johansson. One particular day, we were off to a football match being played by her team, FC Johansson, and I distinctly remember she got more of a reception than the players and even the former president of Sierra Leone. But I guess that's what happens when people know that everything you do is to serve other people. And outside of her, all her outstanding successes, FIFA Executive Committee, CAF, President of Sierra Leone Football, CEO of FC Johansson, and the list goes on, The thread that runs through her is undoubtedly the fact that she has a pure desire to put Sierra Leone on the map for something good, to change the narrative. She's she's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a football fan and lover, and one of the most powerful women in football in the world. Your favorite footballers, from Ronaldo to Neymar, Drogba to Zidane, all salute her as having an important role in football. And she uses her platform to change Sierra Leone one day at a time. This, of course, happens after a glass of champers, because we know she loves her champers. Aisha Johansson, or should I say, Madam Aisha Johansson, welcome to Africa State of Mind. (laughs) Thank you, Leslie. (laughs) It's an honor. So lovely to be chatting to you. Now, Aisha, let's talk a little bit. um, You know, I obviously, as I mentioned in the introduction, I had the privilege of meeting you and spending time with you in Freetown, which was phenomenal. But uh, let's talk a bit about your first encounter with football. You know, um, as a young girl, like where your love and passion for football came from. Um, I I think it all started from perhaps the age of seven. Uh, having said that, maybe earlier than seven, my, my father, who um, he's a banker by profession, he um, was one of the co-founders of a very old and established football club called the Eastern Lions in Sierra Leone. So, you know, those years of uh, going to the stadium, he would take me along with him and I'd sit on his lap and just wake up and lap up the, the ambience of it all and um, coming home where the footballers would, would dress up and uh, leave from home to go to the pitch and then, you know, return back with the trophy or without the trophy mm. in some cases. So the highs and lows, these were things that, you know, uh, subconsciously, I guess, I, I kind of like just lapped everything up and, and it became part of my DNA. And, um, of course, growing up with his brothers and being the only girl at the time, you know, I only played football or table tennis or, or bicycling or climbing trees. Wow. Just being a, a normal tomboy, or maybe a bit of an exaggerated tomboy, actually, I guess. I've, but perhaps even more into the football and the boys' game than the, the boys themselves. So, yes, I, I think it all stems from, from then, from that early age. So, I guess I, it's safe to say that you weren't playing with dolls, you weren't about that at all. I've never had a doll. Uh, <laughs> never had a doll, never had all the girly things. I hated to wear dresses. Um, you know, my mum was bank me and try to beat the fact into me that I am a girl and I put on shorts beneath my dress and the moment I went out of the out of sight, you know, I'd be whipping off tearing off that dress, you know, and in by shorts or jumpers and my T shirts. I mean mind you I still dress like that. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> awesome. So, so, like, and also just I mean, I just can imagine your mom, like that must be <laughs> You know, she's like, my only daughter, wear a dress, play yeah. with a doll. Well, yes. It's, yeah, you know, because for, for mothers, African mothers, you know what it's like. You want to start teaching your daughter how to cook, yeah. make the kitchen, uh, catch your hair, do the girly things. But, you know, it, it just wasn't in me. And then I, I guess maybe it, it, it makes sense then that they sent me off to boarding school 
in England, uh, an old girl's boarding school in the <laughs> she had sat in work for long because, you know, that's because there were tomboys as well. And, you know, we were either playing hockey or, or netball or volleyball or badminton. You know, girls play those games mm. for them. We didn't have football then. But, you know, my best friends were a big time tomboys as well. So <laughs> it didn't do much good. Now, Aisha, I, um, you know, I wanted to ask you just to contrast also, because you mentioned just now about how you, um, you know, your parents sent you to boarding school in the, in the United Kingdom. But now let's talk a little bit about just some of your, your early childhood memories in Sierra Leone. I asked that question because I feel that out of, um, most African countries, Sierra Leone is one of those countries that in general people don't seem to know a lot about. All we know is, okay, they, you know, you have rich resources. We know about obviously the border situation we know about the civil war but we never seem to ever get the other side of what it was like growing up in Sierra Leone then like what were some of the things that made it just lovely to be in Freetown to be in Sierra Leone you know I, I have to say that my growing up years in Sierra Leone is what has shaped me into perhaps being the humanitarian um, that, that I am. Mm. And with a lot of the things that I do, be it football, the Breast Cancer Foundation, Women of Excellence, it's really in support of raising our game and trying to show the other side of Syria. Because like you rightly say, um, beautiful a country as it is, with all our resources and beautiful, wonderful people, it is always... Um, the, the, the doom and gloom side of Syria mm. that hits the, the, the mainstream news. And like you said, if it isn't Ebola, it's a civil war, it's child soldiers, it's cutting of limbs. And you very seldom and hardly see or hear the other side. And, and growing up in Syria, it taught me humanity. Well, my father's a, a, a very firm Muslim, practicing Muslim. My mother's a Catholic, a staunch Catholic. And this is one of the very unique, uh, beautiful aspects of Sierra that religious tolerance where mm. a Muslim would grow up in, in, in a convent, if you like, because uh, I know my catechism that in front and, and you know, I read scriptures in church and I would come home and I'd have my Arabic teacher at home waiting for me and I learned how to read mm. Arabic, write Arabic and I know the Quran as well. Um, and, and this is just not me, it's not unique to me. We will find quite a few people out there who are similar and I think that that embraces humanity and it makes us more of a wholesome, tight-knit family, if you like, mm. as a nation, despite the fact that we've had such a brutal civil war, um, which um, has stuck in the minds of so many people. Mm. Um, again, you know, this, this whole aspect of the, the wonderful beaches that we have, I don't think we celebrate that enough. Mm. Um, our natural resources, our beaches, I think, are almost second to none. We've got wonderful beaches. Yeah. Our tourism is one that really needs to be improved over the years. And sometimes I, I feel as though, you know, we just take what we have for granted. You know, what we have, so many nations and countries would die for, and they would build up on it so much more, make it an attractive destination, and we're hoping that time will, will come. My, my years have been, uh, growing up in Zoyone, have been, for me, the foundation, the root faith shaping me to the person I am, and which is why... My son being a, a multiracial kid, I was um, very keen that he should spend some years growing up in mm-hmm. Syria and to see the other side, see the poverty, see the social level, see the cultural level, see the religious level. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, of course, he, he went out there in England and in Europe, in, in Belgium, 
uh, where um, his other half uh, uh, heritage is from. Uh, so yeah, those, those are wonderful years, and and I, I I do hope and I pray that all the green and green years. That is not to say we're not going to have our problems. Every country will have, but I do pray and hope that the years of war and strife, uh, civil unrest, all these things, we have learned our lessons and putting it past us and um and and moving on to bigger yeah. and greater things. So you know when we celebrate individuals like you are, <laughs> I think trying to celebrate me. Uh, yeah. We actually celebrate the country as well. Definitely. I mean, I think everything you said about Sierra Leone is so accurate, and more than anything, I, you know, I. I just actually cannot wait for people to discover all of what Sierra Leone can yeah. be, you know. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about FC Johansson, the, 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 the football club that you started almost by mistake <laughs> and got the name FC Johansson by mistake. Um, you know, I just, yeah. I, yeah, I just loved, I loved the whole, you know, the story behind it and the fact that you were one of the, you know, basically when you found these young boys, um, you know, you told them that you would support their soccer careers pretty much if they made sure that they would stay in school can you give us um just tell yeah. us a bit about that story about how that all happened well yes that's johansson that is um, a humanitarian project well it started off as a humanitarian project because like i said to you that really is what i i was doing and i i still continue to do the breast cancer and you know celebrating women from all walks of life so fco hansen these are just neighborhood kids um, kids that were mainly displaced, some were orphaned after the civil war in Sierra Leone. We're talking about the early 2000, we're talking about 2002, 2003, thereabouts. And, you know, like with most third world countries also, you, you have every little pocket area, especially in the slum areas, or everywhere really, you have groups of kids playing football, or if they didn't have a football, they'd be kicking, you know, a, a rubber drink or a can of drink or whatever rolls on gravel or wherever. They'd be playing football. So these kids, um, I watch them um, in the morning, begin to work, they'll be playing football in the afternoon, in the evening, but then at night, uh, with no floodlights or anything like that. These these kids were as young as eight, seven um, to 11 playing football. And, And it was obvious that they either didn't have any parents to go home to or they didn't have a home or they had no control from stop. So one day I stopped and uh, spoke to them. And, of course, it transpired. What I suspected is, is what it was, actually, that um, these kids, um, some of them were displaced or orphaned or, you know, just, just they're not cared for after the Civil War. And so one of them was brave enough to say, you know, they, they wanted to send me a letter or something like that. And we got talking and they wanted to play football. And I said, OK, well, it's pretty obvious that um, you don't go to school because I see 24-24 playing football and um, you are not under any control. So we will strike this deal. You go back to school. I put you in school. You stay in school and we will do the football um, during your break or off hours or weekends. So um, they, they, actually, they actually thought I was an American woman or some foreigner, and so they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, no, I mean it. Um, I'm so young and I live here. I will watch you. We will go to school. So the long and short of it is that we struck a deal, and they agreed to go to school. Luckily, a lot of them, um, their, their parents or their, their late parents were soldiers from mm. the jumper years or military fathers that have passed away. So it was easy to put them back in the military school, which is not far from where I live. So a lot of them went back there 
and some were scattered uh, around in the city, not too far off from where I live, in, in a place called the Western area called Hill Station. So we did that, we struck that deal. Suffice to say that a, a, a good number of them didn't want to stay in school, but they had to because mm. that was a deal. And so I bought them their first two balls and uh, they had uh, not even boots. They had like, you know, they called them stilettos, uh, plastic shoes, plastic sandals uh, that they used. And uh, I started to engage them in, in small community leagues and I would actually just pop up in school just to make sure that they are in school and I wanted to see their report cards mm. and I wasn't so keen about the academics because I knew not that many of them were that way inclined. I just wanted to make sure that they be somewhere safe and meaningful and maybe on a scale of zero to ten, maybe two percent of some educational aspects or academics would, would penetrate. Um, and, and that's how, how it was. A few of them you know, a small number actually graduated to uh, high levels academically, which I'm tremendously proud about. So, yes, I engaged them in community leagues uh, under 11s, under 14s, under 13s, and they started winning trophies. And even with the name S.G. Johansson, they insisted it should yeah. be that they kept on going to and fro. And I was like, oh, why don't you call yourselves Hill Station Cubs? Why don't you call yourselves, I don't know, the, the Pups, the Cubs? The whatever, because they, they were such young, feisty boys. You just call yourself anything. Um, and they came back, no, it's S.G. Hanson. So uh, they insisted it, it must be S.G. Hanson. I was sorely embarrassed by that, but it stuck. But and that's what um, they called themselves. And um, the story goes on and on. And I started taking them out for international youth tournaments. And I did that, not so much because I, you know, I... I believe that, you know, we could sell players. They were far too young. But I did that in an attempt, in a bid to showcase Sonia that there is another side to mm. Sonia. There is a talent. There is a beautiful country. Uh, we, we, we're, we're rising from, from the dust, from the ashes, from the mayhem, and come and see our country. And um, and it worked, because on the on the back of FC Johansson and taking them out came the African International Youth Tournament, where we invited other countries Europe and Africa to come and play in Syria. We hosted two international youth tournaments. Now, Aisha, I just wanted, you know, you've said, you've said so many things that I could touch on, but I did think that this might be such an important question at this time in history, you know, when you spoke about how with FC Johansson, you wanted to show a different side to Sierra Leone. And obviously, you know, as you've mentioned now, because of um, what the, the work that you have done w- within the team and, you know, and with your own executive committee and everything, you know, you've had international people now come and play football in Sierra Leone, which is amazing. Now, the World Cup was, uh, you know, obviously, it's it's just we everybody's still buzzing from World Cup fever, you know, and I can't help but wonder as somebody because you sit on the FIFA exec committee, you sit on CAF and everything. What are your thoughts? And you you know you spend a lot of time abroad and as well in in Africa, of course. What are your thoughts around the state of football in Africa as a whole? I ask that because of this. You know, people look at the, a lot of the players who were in France, and I think about eighteen of them in the in the winning French team were first you know second generation immigrants or first-generation immigrants within France. And people always ask the question, if they had you know, been able to be groomed at home, would the result have been the same or different? Because the raw talent is here. It's in Africa, it's in Sierra Leone, but we're not seeing that converted onto a world stage unless if they go and train elsewhere. What are your thoughts around that? And what needs to be done different as a whole in football in Africa for us to be able to change um, that story? 
I think that's such a very, very good question. And I am really pleased to hear from you that people are asking that question about if these boys, the, the Pogba's and, and all the others, if they were in Africa, would they have excelled? Would it have been the same story? Uh, because that's what I was asking myself, and, and, and I think I stated that uh, in, in quite a few of the sort of the statements that, 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 that I made out, um, that, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Africa won at the end of the day. You know, this is an African winning thing. We won the World Cup. No, we did not. And to be quite honest, I think um, uh, some people ought to be embarrassed saying that mm. because we all know that had these boys been in Africa, been playing football in Africa, A, the level of talent would never have been nurtured or spotted, and B, they would never have been allowed to excel, not their teams, not their mm. country. Uh, simply because of this beautiful game that we call football, that we all love so much, uh, the way that it's been taken to different levels in a negative way. And, and mm. you know, we, we all see how Europe, uh, they, they nurture and they cradle. They have their ups and downs, but we all see how they take it very seriously. Um, politics has crept into African football in a manner that is scary. Mm. It's very, very disturbing, to say the least. Um, I have been a victim of political um, intimidation. Um, uh, My executive in the FA has been a victim of political intimidation and interference and countless other African countries. And what um, some of our politicians and all these other third parties with a different agenda to the game, other than um, um, enhancing the growth of the country or the game, is that it's not so much the individual that you're attacking or trying to set aside that will suffer. It's actually, it's the country, it's the youth, it's the players. And mm. try to drive that home time and time again, because if you... If you expel, you kick out, you frame, you whatever, you use your, mm. your political office to put somebody aside. And then what? Somebody else comes in, he doesn't dance to your tune, he doesn't do what you have to do, you kick that person out. In the meantime, four years, World Cup, every four years, three, four, but before you know what you have in 15, 20 years, of yeah. your country has achieved nothing. Mm. So instead, we all clamor in front of the TV, we're watching others excel. Some some of these players, my 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 boys, played with some of these players uh, in Brazil, at the Cruzeiros in, in the African International Youth Tournament. They see other players hmm. that they played in youth tournament excel on the major screen, and they're actually they're so happy to point them out. I remember him. We played. Oh, we went to Real Madrid. We were playing with that guy. We were playing with that guy. Where are you now? Where are sure. players now? They've all, they have been the ones to suffer the most. They are the actual victims, not us. Mm. So, um, you know, my take is absolutely true. What is the state of football in Africa? I think uh, it's, um, it's very sad because when you talk about talent, homegrown natural talent with very little, um, you find that in Africa. Mm. You know, it's second to none. You find, you find that harvest in Africa. Why we cannot... Um, build on this God-given gift that God has given to us uh, to excel. Um, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know. But, you know, uh, but lessons are never learned. You know, know, people make a lot of noise outside. Yes, you know, we should do this, we should do that. And you come into a seat of power or you come uh, where you really have the responsibility, you can make the difference. 
and you don't, or you're not able to. Mm. So, um, you know, I could go on and not, I, I still do have a lot of belief. Uh, in mm. my continent, otherwise we wouldn't. But be you've here, got to speak the truth um, of it. Yeah. Against your mm. <laughs> we wouldn't be here, to, you know, to, to, uh, battling it out, and we will mm. continue to do so yeah. uh, because we believe in our country. We believe in what we have, and that change will come one day. But I also always say that change can never happen with one individual, mm. uh, you know, going around with a battle axe, you know, fighting left, right, and centre. Uh, change has got to be a, a collective decision to move towards a particular vision for change. So um, I think until that time comes where, you know, honesty um, and integrity in the game is, is something that is a group and a collective mission and a vision, um, it will be a futile exercise. But uh, you, we'll, we'll get there. We yeah. will. Sure, I really... I improving anyway, so it's, it's not all doom and gloom, actually. Yeah. No, I mean... Around, there's some African countries, no. uh, including South Africa, I yeah. guess, you know, you, you guys are getting it right. I mean, I guess, you know, I, first of all, when you were speaking, I felt like that moment when Oprah was <laughs> did the speech at one of the award ceremonies, and everybody was like, Oprah for president. In my mind, I keep thinking, and I, and I think I said that when I first met you, and I've said it to you sporadically when I've, you know, yes. been able to be in touch with you, about how I really feel and... Maybe it's because I'm a woman and maybe it's because I'm African. I really feel that, you know, like as much as you have like a, you know, you have a high position within FIFA. I know that there were talks after Sepp Blatter was forced to step down. There were talks and rumors going around that you could have possibly replaced him, you know. And then also within CAF and everything, Mm -hmm. you're one of those people that I think that if you were leading CAF or if you had an even more senior role at at FIFA, you know, things might change. Because, you know, we almost need to, we need to have, because we talk about leadership in, in Africa and how we've got all these amazing things happening, but we need to have a shift in leadership. And we're seeing that, thankfully, in different countries. You know, the the new prime minister of of Ethiopia is doing a really good job, Kagame, different people. But now, when we talk about football, would you ever, because I I heard that apparently when Sepulata was forced to resign, you basically were one of the people whose names was thrown around. And then you allegedly, I hope it's alleged, said the time wasn't right. In my mind, I thought... Why would the time not be right? Aisha should be leading this. You know, let's talk about just yeah. that and, and just the challenges of being a woman in football in Africa versus yeah. in, um, you know, internationally where, where it comes to FIFA. I, I think, you know, as we, we grow older and um, we, we face and experience the challenges that we, we, we do or we have faced, uh, you realize that, you know, everything in God's good time. First of all, I am yet to experience um, um, being in a higher position in FIFA. You know, sitting in the FIFA committee, that's great. You know, um, I think it's good that I've started off as a cash executive and um, to understand fully how my continent works. Uh, being the president of the Football Association, that's good. I, I totally understand my country now. Um, and the mindset, and uh, we're dealing with that. And hopefully I will play um, a a, a part and contribute to making that change and bringing back some integrity, structure, and discipline into our football federation. And going now to CAF, well, of course, that's another border altogether, talking about South Africa, North Africa, East Africa, Central Africa, West Africa. We're all Africans, but, you know, believe me, we do have our different uh, differences in opinions, perceptions, and how we, we, we uh, you know, and how we, we deal with with things. So, 
I've got another two years more to go, and it's a learning process for me. Mm. You, know, you know, there's a saying that, you know, you can't, you can't hope to look into the future if you can't address the present. Sure. And for me, now, the present is about Africa and how I can actually contribute and make myself a, a, a formidable force and a voice and giving a voice, especially to African women and girls in Africa. I want to be able to do that here now in the African continent. And then I'll be ready to take on world football governance in terms of being in FIFA at the executive level and, you know, uh, with what I've, I've learned and experienced in Africa, take that on mm. uh, to FIFA. So, you know, I know at that time during the, the Blatter era, you know, there were names all over flying and, uh, yes, of course, they were zooming in on me, which was flattering and very humbling. It's nice. Um, but, you know, it, I wasn't ready. You know, I certainly wasn't ready. And, and, and these are things, these are the nice it would have been nice. Wouldn't it have been lovely to see a woman a change from a blesser all these years? Yes, but um, it, it wasn't the right time. And there's some other very, very strong and positive women yeah. uh, that, that could have, uh, have taken on that role as well. A lot more experience than myself. You know, you talk about the Moya Dodds from Australia, you know, um, even Lydia Sikera. She's yes. got a wealth of experience. Uh, from Burundi, mm. you know, she's got a wealth of experience there. And some, some, some other very grounded uh, uh, female football administrators that I could think of that um, could have uh, filled in that position. So, so, so yes, you know, uh, for me, I, I, I hope I haven't lost track of your question, but it, it's very humbling. I think when the time is right, uh, God will put me there if I'm meant to be there. Um, but I think that with all that's going on around me here in Sierra Leone and uh, in Africa, I think this is the right place, it's the right time to make that change mm. and to make Africa great again uh, in, in football, if you like. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm enjoying this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, just, um, I just have to say... God willing, we the, will make the change. The reason why I know that you are ready to be <laughs> in that sort of position is that people who are destined for it never... They never feel like they're ready. They always want to become better, and that's a good sign. But we're going to leave it. When it does happen, hopefully I'll still have your number. <laughs> I'll be like, Aisha, hi. I said it first. I said it first. I said it first. I'll be there. I don't know if there's like an inauguration or whatever, but I'll be the person who's there. I'll say, excuse me, excuse me. I'm here with Madam Johansson. Now, Aisha, let's talk about some. Let's also talk a little bit about, um, you know, I think that the Holy Bola story is so important, you know, obviously because when it came to Ebola, the spread of it is with people being, you know, when there are a lot of people being in the same place at the same time. And football is an, was an area that was was hit pretty hard, of course. Now, um, Sierra Leone was pretty yeah. much the epicenter of the Ebola crisis, you know, um, not too long ago. Um, you and your husband, as you mentioned, your son is is biracial, and I believe your husband is from Norway. You and your husband had the opportunity to not be in 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 Freetown in Sierra Leone at the time of the Ebola crisis, but you decided to stay there. You know, which is something, I mean, I don't even know if I would, sorry, I don't know if I would gamble with my life that much. But, you know, I'm quite fascinated to hear what it was that made you decide as a family, look, we're going to stay here. We're going to stay here. We're going to fight with the people. We're going to get through this and then, you know, push for there to be games shortly after the Ebola crisis was cleared. So, um, as uh, you know, you've met my, my husband, he's Norwegian, and I actually met him in Sweden, and he'd been staying in Sweden for longer than myself. 
she was uh, in Serbia just after the war years. Sure. I think, or was it even? I think it was even here before the war years. And he stayed. Mm. Um, so it, it it actually didn't even have anything to do with me. He stayed <laughs> because he loved the country, loved the people, yeah. and you know he felt he felt a sense of of wanting to be here with the people through troubled times and and the country. So obviously, when he met me and 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 the fact that I had. Um, I had put in so much of of my my life into um, raising these young boys who, by the way, call they all call me mum, and they call their mothers by their first names. <laughs> and you know, they I've, I've got this I've got this extended family, if you like. Yeah. Um, I, I I just did not. It never even for once crossed my mind that I should take off and run. Mm. It was an extremely scary time, of course. And then my father. Um, is living here, and I'm I'm such a huge, massive daddy's girl. Mm. Uh, there's no way my 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 father, my son, and my my husband. These are the three main features in my life. Mm. So, and, and and you know, there was no way I was going to leave my father, and he, there was no way he was going to go. Anyway, he didn't want to go, so I didn't really have much of a choice but to stay. Having said that, football was hit hard, as you know, and um, I am very thankful we didn't have. A massive uh, casualty um, statistics in terms of losing players, which we so very easily could have. Mm. Because, of course, as you know, Ebola was all about uh, um, um, blood, sweat, interaction, yeah. and that's football for you. Um, so that could easily have happened, but we thank God we stopped it in its tracks yeah. early enough and um, we were able to prevent that from happening. I, I, I decided that if, again, like I said, if you're in the country, you have a position where you could influence things happening, do that. And don't just take a position because you want the name. I was the president of the, the Zolan Football Association at the time. There was nothing happening. I thought, A, I could possibly make a difference, which in my own little way, I tried to. I went to see the then FIFA president, Blatter, and I asked him you know, if there was any way FIFA could help in terms of uh, raising awareness, in terms of support, what have you, for Ebola, which by then hadn't even started going, it hadn't mm. been on the rampage, we weren't dying like flies at that time. It had just started creeping into the borders of Leone uh, via Liberia and Guinea. Mm. And that was how the um, kick against the fight against Ebola with Ronaldo, Messi, Jogba, uh, and all these um, footballers, if ever you saw that campaign, yeah. I was the driving force behind Amazing. that. Um, and uh, Seth Blatter was kind enough to, to get FIFA to, to push that agenda. We did that um, to raise minutes. We did um, the, the, the English FA. I also approached them and the English Premier League. And they gave us some money, which I in turn handed to UNICEF mm. uh, for us to, to try to see how we could um, fight or fight the spread because we, we hadn't found a cure then. It was how to contain the Ebola, how to fight mm. the spread. And it was sanitation, just pure sanitation. So we... Um, we went into the market um, centers and we built um, taps and for clean water to be running in the congested market areas uh, where you had all these market women selling food and poor hygiene and you had an Ebola epidemic. So, I mean, that was just a breeding ground, if, if, if you like, yeah. for the Ebola to spread. And, you know, I'm very much an African woman. I'm not into McDonald's. We don't even have McDonald's <laughs> or anything like that. So, yeah. and so I, I thought I, I would look at my cook coming home and he's gone to the market 
bison. So here we are busy sanitizing our house, but the, 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 the cook has gone out into these market areas, gone and been in, in contact with God knows who, and, you know, with the food everybody touching and bringing it home. So I, I thought to myself, this is counterproductive, really. You know, we've got to try to, to, to do something. So and so we did that. We built a few uh, uh, taps and, and toilets. And my husband, the company that he was representing then, the cement factory, Neosem, they also chipped in with cement uh, to build um, um, uh, um, clean um, shower rooms and mm-hmm. uh, toilets and what have you. So I'm very proud and happy in the sense that, yes, I stayed, but stayed through to make a difference, uh, mm. to make a contribution and, um, and help to save lives, if you like. And I hope I succeeded in doing that. Uh, you know, Aisha, I love the way when... Sorry, Madam Johansson, let me respect myself. <laughs> I love the way... <laughs> I love the way when you speak about all the amazing things that you've done, you kind of brush over it as as though it was just... It's just ordinary. And I think that one thing you should never forget, and part of the reason why I think a lot of people wanted us to have a conversation with you and why we've been pushing so long to talk to you is because you literally, you know, it's like whenever somebody is involved in history or they're involved in greatness, they never actually realize what's happening until afterwards. It's quite a feat that Mm, you got the whole of FIFA to support, you know, and to get behind Sierra Leone, which is a country I think you've got like 7 million people, which in the greater scheme of things possibly did not mean anything to the rest of the world. But, you know, I think that you should remember that you, you, like you say, you're born and placed in such a time, in such a season. And I think the Sierra Leone and Africa is better for having you. Now, I wanted to also um, possibly share the story that you had shared with me, which I thought was so cute. Um, the whole story around David Beckham and <laughs> and the, 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 the FCO Hanson boys and how you got them to to meet them. Because this shows, because, madam, this now shows that you have a, a little bit of Niger in you, Sha. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about how you got the FC Johansson boys to meet um, David Beckham and take the iconic picture. Yeah, that's such a really funny story, actually. <laughs> Mind you, UNICEF didn't speak to me for like two years. They shut the door and they weren't amused. But anyway, um, so basically, basically it's, it's, it's quite an interesting story. So you know that um, UNICEF and I guess the UN, they, they very often have... Um, uh, not a slogan, but they have yet their campaign, yeah. whatever it is that they're promoting. So I think that particular year, in which it was this, this was probably 2009, 2008, 2009, it was on child mortality and vaccines. So, um, and they wanted, David Beckham is a UNICEF ambassador. And so they wanted um, for him to, to be the face of that campaign and to come to Sierra Leone. So, I'm at home one evening and I had a touch of malaria and I, I wanted to go to bed and I was grabbing hold on my Vogue magazine and my tackler on the other arm. And for some reason, and, and my, my husband, uh, being the Norwegian uh, consul, he's, he's a consul for Norway and Sweden here, and Norway is a big donor to UNICEF. Mm. And um, so there was a, a, a somebody from the, the Ministry of Finance, I believe, he came to see my husband. And, you know, he was just, oh, by the way, um, I think, um, you know, David Beckham said, so I didn't hear all of this. And I, I just listened to this, how strange this is. So I came in, came to close my office, to go back to my bedroom, and there was this gentleman. And my husband just said to me, he said, Aisha, you would never believe he's coming to town. And Leslie, I kid you not, 
I just said, gosh, who? David Beckham? <laughs> I just said it like that. Yeah. So for no reason. I, I just said, who? David Beckham? Oh, um, I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, maybe it's sort of Beckham's on the front cover of, of Vogue that I don't know. Yeah. So I just said it. And he was like, oh, my God. But she knows. How do you know? And I'm like, no, what? And he said, David Beckham's coming. Honestly, Leslie, the magazine flew. The one was going left, one was wow. going right. I was like, I, I, I was gasping. <laughs> I was short of breath. I was like, well, uh, going mad in the place. And he was like, calm down, calm down, you know. And I'm like, it's not true. I said, but nobody's heard. And he said, yes, because nobody's supposed to hear. I'm like, well, how can you just come to Surreal, David Beckham, Surreal? I said, it's not true. And so I actually called one or two influential people and I just said, did you hear anything? Have you heard? And we got a celebrity coming. And they said, no, I said, a football celebrity. And they said, no. I said, have you heard anything about Beckham? I said, no. What about Beckham? I said, okay, fine. So, no. so I thought, no, it's not true. But this guy knew. And, I, and somehow I knew it was true. Mm. So my husband said, well, look, I'm traveling the next day. I shall find out in the morning if it is true. But luckily, did I wait for my husband to tell me, look, whether nope. it was true or not? <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night, I was now, like you say, I went into the Niger mode. <laughs> and I was now, I am going to, I am going to prepare my boys. This is an opportunity. So at 11 at night, I actually called the manager, who was reading stay far from where I was. And I said, I said, Bindi, you need to come now. I said, I need to speak to you. This is not a phone conversation. You need to come. So he was there. So he thought something really bad had happened. I said, I said, you need to swear that you won't say anything to anyone. Uh. But David Beckham is coming here tomorrow. And honestly, that guy could have fainted. And, you know, for <laughs> a second, he didn't even know who David Beckham was. It couldn't have been David Beckham. Yeah. Like, who? Is that who which, which, which fraud is this now? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I said, so now what we do, you go and hire a bus. You go to a banner, you do a banner, a dream come true, David Becker. You do another jersey, you print uh, an Eskimo Johansson jersey, you do number seven, Becker, as you have to, you do all of that in the next six hours. By eight o'clock in the morning, I want everything here. Wow. So, anyway, he got to work and he brought the captain, young Larry. He was, what, he was about 12, 13. When I told him, the tears just started to stream down his face. You know, the poor lad oh. was to cry. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. That's how he expressed it. He, he, he was speechless and he started to cry. And so the long and short of it is, yes, we, 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 we got together. I said, everybody come with your toilet bags because even if we have to sleep on the pavement, we didn't even know where we were going. And he was coming, but how? Where was he going? We had no idea. Uh, my, my husband then gave me the tip off that, yes, UNICEF, and he would be going to McKinney. And where in McKinney, McKinney being a, a town, yeah. um, about three and a half hours away from Town. And so, you know, I'm trying to cut the story short. It's just such a funny one. So uh, I used my Niger skills, <laughs> as, 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 as you say, and I thought it was phone around. And then I got a waitress who was a, a fan of S.G. Hansen. So she said, yes, he's coming here. They've evacuated, but nobody should know. I said, so what is his program? She said, oh, I don't know what his program, but he's going to be going to a field, a, a, a hospital to do the vaccines. And I'm like, fine. So we went in, in, in the bus. The boys were there. We had our banners. We had his, his, his jersey, everything. I took my son. I didn't go in the same van. I went with a girlfriend and my son, who was nine then. Yeah. And um, we went up. Going, we didn't even know where we were going, I'll be honest. So we, we hit the McShaney town. And it was very quiet, actually, because what UNICEF did, they flew in by helicopter mm. there. And it was all very quiet. 
very, very hush-hush. How they manage that, I don't know. So they went up there, and he was doing the program. So we kind of like followed on, if you like. And then we got to a place. They said uh, he'd be at a hospital. So we were directed to a new hospital. And as soon as we got there, there was a lot of security presence. And I was like, that's it. This is where it is. And Leslie, at that point... You know, you, there's a drive. You have to go up to the hospital and there's a drive. There's gates, yeah. there's security guards, there, there's special security. There's God knows which security he brought yeah. from out. There's this, there's that, there's military presence. And I was like, wow, this uh, is where we stop. We can't get in. So at that, that, that second, I was like, well, this is it. This is touch and go. I've got to go into a frantic drama queen mode. So we got to the gate and then the security guards were all coming, you know, stopping the bus. The bus was behind and we were in a jeep. And uh, the good thing is that I, it was a diplomatic um, uh, plate number, yeah. uh, my husband's car I was using. So um, uh, we got there and they were like, yes, 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 you know, identity. And then I just went into frantic mode with my best public school accent. I was like, <laughs> I am so late. I've got to get in there. Mr. Beckham needs his papers. Oh, the documents for him. Could you open this black? Oh, sorry, my language. Like, Could you open the door? And I get the gate. I'm late, I'm late. I, just, I was frantic. I didn't even want him to speak before the <laughs> He was like, gosh, open the gate. Everybody open the gate. <laughs> so he was there. He was actually jogging in front of the car and he was shouting at the other cars, open the gate. <laughs> I was like, not just me, the gate also, the boys at the back. We're late, we're late. So we got in. That's how we got in. I got in. We were driving. Then panic set in because I was like, oh my God, what now? What do we do now? So we got in, we're driving. And and I just stopped. I said to my son, he said, oh, mama, look, that's David Beckham. So David Beckham had one baby in his arm and he was actually reading the autocue. He was reading the message. Mm. So he said, mama, get David Beckham. So I said, Malik, we're not supposed to be here. Malik is my son. Mm. I said, um, if they get, if they catch me, mama's going to go to prison. I said, so what you need to do, we're going to stop this car and you need to run run straight across the field and don't meet Beckham. Okay, you do that. And then he was like, Mama, I'm scared. I said, if you don't do that, they're going to carry me away because we're not going to be here. <laughs> and so exactly that's what he did. We stopped the car. The boys were in the back seat. They were like, uh, they were all screaming because they saw Beckham. Then the security guards, Beckham's guards and everybody, they're coming towards us and I'm screaming at my son, run, 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 Beckham. So he darts across. He goes to Beckham and honestly... I fell in love with Beckham. Of course, I've always been in love with, with Beckham. Mm-hmm. But at that point, the humanity, he just sent the, he, he put the baby, he gave the baby to somebody else, and he just stretched out his arms when mm-hmm. he saw my son running towards him, you know, to, to cuddle my, my son, mm-hmm. to embrace him. And so once that, and he didn't want anyone stopping him, he just, he just uh, uh, embraced my son. And once that happened, there I was. I came down and they came to me. I said, what are you, what are you coming to me? There's my son over there. Back in front of my son. He's not leave. And he's got my son. What are you guys talking about? I just got my son. And then I went into that frantic mode again. And I'm like, not only that, these children. So I just said to the boys, come down. The, everybody just zoom. So that's how we got there. Oh, so I love this. We, that's big. That's such a drama. That's real drama, drama. And we gave him the jersey. He took off his his T-shirt, 
which was a lovely sight to see as well, those tattoos and everything, <laughs> and uh, the, the great, uh, the, the body, that was like, I wanted to say, don't put on our shirt again, just stay as you are. <laughs> and uh, so he, he wore the, the number seven, uh, Epsi Johansson, he took a picture with the, the boys, he played footsie with the boys, and I was actually wearing Victor Beckham's, the, the first jeans, she had the, the VD. So um, I actually wore those, and uh, I wanted to show it, show off. I said, "Look, look, I'm wearing uh, Victoria's jeans." And um, at that point, she said, "Oh, great fit!" And, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm the saint now. You guys need to bring the stretcher." I lo- so that was that story. It was wonderful. I, uh, this story oh, never gets old, and, and I'm sure that even David Beckham will <laughs> never forget that moment. I just, I actually wish that I was there. I almost feel like somebody should make, <laughs> um, like a you know some sort okay. of like. Yeah, but now Aisha, just before that was, that was a movie. Yeah, definitely was a movie, and I'm sure, and I can understand why the UNICEF guys like just stopped speaking to you for like two years. Your husband must have been like, Aisha. <laughs> But but now, Aisha, before we let you go, um, you know, we wouldn't be doing this um any service if we didn't ask about the role of women in football and some of the initiatives that you've put into place, um, like power play and also, you know, the increase in female mm. refs. You know, can we talk a little bit about that? Um, because outside of the fact that you're African, you know, you obviously are a woman as well, and just you being present, um, <clears throat> and being so, um, you know, being present and having such a powerful position when it comes to football in Africa, you know, we can't we can't ignore the importance of that. Talk to us a bit about some of the initiatives that you've started around women in football. Um, yeah, if you can just share with us. You know, um, when it comes to um, gender empowerment and gender inclusivity in, in football, this is an area that I feel I'm obligated uh, to, to, to be able to make um, as much contribution as I possibly can. I didn't grow around uh, women. This is the most challenging uh, job for me, honestly, to, to be able to um, nurture female football uh, because you know, if you have to do it, it's, it's a male football club, but I've never really been into uh, the empowerment of women in football. But I'm loving it because it's a challenge. Now, Power Play is a gender empowerment initiative using sports and in particular football. And that, again, was born, you know, during the, the Blatter years, uh, the 2015 Women's World Cup in Canada. I was a match commissioner. I spent a month there, and for the FIFA symposium that they had there, I was actually given 15 minutes to speak about power play. And power play is basically giving African girls and women a voice through football. In fact, through sports, but because we're football in football, meaning that you have women, women like yourself, that you're intrigued uh, by the world of football and maybe in particular how women like myself cope, endure being in a male-dominated arena. There are some women, they actually secretly love football. They would like to play football. They dare not because they're being made fun of or they wouldn't be encouraged. Some women don't actually know how to play football. They like football and they like everything else around football but they don't know where to start. Now, power play is actually encouraging, for instance, a seamstress who's very good at tailoring, and she could actually be empowered by sewing jerseys for the national teams, the female national teams, the female uh, 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 local league teams. That is gender empowerment. The young lady who is good in science, she wants to be a doctor. 
she she learns sports medicine, sports science, and she can actually get a job working in FIFA, working mm. in CAF, working in UEFA, working working for her federation as a female doctor for the national team, for the local teams. You have a, a, a lawyers. What about you know legal? Everything to do with sports or football. You do not have, in short, you do not have to be a 90-minute player to excel in football, in sports. You don't have to be a physical mm, person. I like that. You can be a cerebral mm. person. You could be, it's, look at you. You <laughs> came out here to Surya. You went out there in the stadium. You were able to lap up the ambience. You were able to follow the game. You played a part. You were empowered there. You actually were there for uh, 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 qualifiers, yeah. an international game. That is empowerment. And you were there taking the lead role and you were there doing the interview. That's gender empowerment for you. Some women look at myself, my God, how did she manage? I would like to be like Aisha. I would like to be an epic person. I would like to sit in, in FIFA and cast. But what stops you from doing that? I don't play football. Okay, I played at, you know, recreational level with my... But, but I'm no uh, captain of a team. I, I, I didn't play for any club or anything. But I administer. I'm an administrator, mm. you know. So this is the aspect of power play that, you know, it is actually reaching out, out and giving a voice, mm. making them understand that it's not all about... 19 football is so much more than 19 minutes on the pitch. That is what, you know, that this message is all about. So, you know, you know we, we could sit there. What about, what about the female commentators? Yeah. What about um, um, the female sports writers? What about the, the, the female journalists uh, uh, writing sports? Why don't we encourage these women to get into our world, to get into the world of football and be able to, to make their own impact and be able to, 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 to be a person of recognition and repute and grow in that space? So, and, and I hope that it catches on. I think it will. Yeah. Again, what stops Africa being, you know, at the core of, of spreading this? Europe, they're doing their own, and they, God knows they, they, they're excelling in that. What stops Africa from actually nurturing these kind of women? Nothing. Nothing. You know, and it just takes maybe a lead role model like myself who I'm uh, um, um, humble that I am able to inspire other women and young girls to so come out to say, look, I'm here because... I dared to just cross the boundaries a little bit and stay in the game. You know what? Stay in the game because I believe yeah. in this game. So that's what it's all about. And, you know, I've gone one step further. I actually have um, some farmland that mm. my, my father gave to me. And, um, you know, as an offshoot, I'm uh, producing, I'm doing a perfume fragrance candles and my own perfume line. And it's called Power Play. And some of the fragrances like lemongrass, ginger, these uh, um, crops will grow on my farm, from my, my farm. Again, that's gender, that's power play for you. Mm. The women farmers who are stark illiterate women, but they're great farmers, they will cultivate the land, they will grow these crops, and we will send these crops out of the country, export them, and the extracts of what will be on the shelves at Harvey Nichols, in Harrods, uh, 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 at Saks, hopefully online. But the story comes from Surrey so, yeah. I love that. Village. That's power play. That's gender empowerment for you. So, um, so, so that's a dream, and um, I think this is what takes me away from all the stress being created and and, um, and empowering other other women and, and giving them hope. Yeah. Sure.
I really love that. Sure, the way you describe that. And also, I think you spoke about something that was so important, the economy around football and how it's so much more than just the actual players. There's so many things and there's so many opportunities yes. for, there to, you know, for there to be gender empowerment. And the analogy of how that can go into yes. different um, kind of industries uh, you know, around the continent as a whole. Absolutely. Now, Aisha, just um, you know, as we come to wrapping up with you, just one, th- uh, a few things. Firstly, what were your thoughts around Morocco losing the bid for the next um, World Cup? Well, I mean, obviously... Um, Sierra Leone was one of the countries that voted for America. Yeah. So um, I, I guess you don't know, want to say maybe you're next person or maybe what you want to ask is, you know, you know why didn't you? Yeah. Um, I think, again, certain things, it's all about what is practical. And um, if you look at the number, the disparities, the percentage of people, countries that voted for America as opposed to Morocco, you would see that, you know, there was a vast difference. Mm. Uh, and I think maybe it's because they looked at the practicality of things, you know, that, and, and they didn't um, play a race card or any other card. And, and, and I think this is, you know, for me, the, the, this is one big issue. I don't play any card. I've never played a card. Yes, I'm a woman in football, and yes, give a woman the chance that, but in everything that I put the gender first and oh vote for me because I'm a woman oh please leave me alone and feel sorry for me because I'm a woman oh, oh but no you know I'm, I'm not about that I'm, I'm about merit by credit and so when we come back to Morocco I actually do think that there could have been a lot more that Morocco could have done or could have offered in terms of practicality we're talking world football we're not talking african continental football we're just talking world football and fifa is all about funding and it's all about money the football at the end of the day well not not fifa is all about money but the world cup is all about revenues and when you look at uh, the revenues that were confirmed that fifa could get by you know hosting it in america mexico and canada as compared to morocco i think maybe that was more of a decisive factor it's all about what works what really works to the max for the good of the game, for the good of the world. It's yeah. world football. So, um, yes, it's. Um, I would love as an African to see football come home to Africa in terms of uh, uh, world football, uh, the FIFA World Cup. But there's still more time, you know, and that's the, the, the thing about um, when you fail to succeed in something, you dust yourself down, you don't go making enemies and feeling sore about those who didn't come on the bandwagon with you for whatever reasons, you actually learn from the mistakes. Where did we go wrong? Why didn't we succeed in this? And you just start to get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, South Africa hosted it once. There's no reason why Africa, we cannot make that. I do strongly believe that Africa will host the World Cup again. So I, I, I do hope that Morocco, in fact, all of us Africans, we will go back to the drawing board see where we went wrong, how we went wrong, improve on that, and then come back uh, uh, um, um, for the next fight and build stronger. And uh, God willing, we'll get it. Since you don't draw, since you, in your own words, you don't, you never pull the card, you never pull the Africa card, the race card, the woman card or anything. You're about fairness and, and fair play and everything. I hope that these questions you're going to answer in the most fair way. And I'm going to be a little bit naughty, <laughs> but let's just see how it goes. The yeah. greatest African football yeah. team at the moment. Love it. I love to watch 
the Senegalese play. Yeah. I love to watch um, Senegal. I love my Nigerian brothers. Uh, uh, Oga, we, you have to pick one, oh. Because... <laughs> Oga, you have to pick one. See. Oh, <laughs> Is oh it Senegal God. or Nigeria? Because now you picked Senegalese oh jollof. Uh, so pick the one. <laughs> so, so let me say it's a Nigerian. <laughs> I love to watch Sanchez because I can relate. Yeah. I can relate. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. I don't know. No, no. Okay. Okay. So I can relate. Okay. So gr- I, I love to, to, to watch the Nigerian straight. Your favorite footballer in the world at the moment, besides, I mean, Ronaldo versus Neymar, who do you think is the better player? <laughs> and I, I know you know both of them. It has to be. It's got to be CR7. It's got to be Ronaldo, yes. Uh, no, he, he's a phenomenal player. He really is. And I think Neymar is uh, still got a lot to learn. He's got to grow. And uh, but, but, you know, don't forget, you've got these uh, French boys around the corner, you know, and, um, you know, they're not doing too badly at all. I think the next three, four years, are going to see a crop of phenomenal players, really, and Christian and Ronaldo will be on the brink of retirement and she's going to watch these new boys around the block um, excel. Love that. Um, and who's your favorite African footballer of all time? <laughs> one. Time. M- Madame Johansson, one, please, Oga. No, five, no, the just the name. I, 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 I think it's got to be Drogba. Yeah. I think so. I think it's got to be Drogba. I, I, I think he's such a humanitarian, he's such a good, good person, and um, he was able to use his um, his, uh, his fame mm. um, to to um, do good things uh, for his country. It's a shame that you're restricting me tonight, because of course I wanted to include President George Weir, but if you insist... And who um, happens to be a close friend of yours, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've known him for the longest time. Yeah. I mean, George Weir is just a phenomenal person, and during the war years, he did the same, you know, really put himself out for his people and for Africans yeah. as well that were affected by the war and Ebola. Um, Drogba, I think he's more recent, and a lot more people can relate to Drogba, so I would want to say Drogba. We're actually, yeah. And again, because, you know, football goes beyond the 20 minutes, like I always say. Mm. That's what you do on the pitch. What do you do outside the pitch? What do you do for human, for mankind? You know, how do you embrace humanity in mm. football? Yeah. Yeah. We actually um should be speaking to Drogba um on this podcast within the next few weeks, so it's very exciting. We'll be sure to let Drogba know that Madame Johansson said. <laughs> Before you go, there were some footballers because I've seen you have pictures with all these people. So I'm like, I need to up my like Instagram following. So I'm gonna call Aisha and say, Aisha, please, can you just tell Ronaldo to Photoshop a picture of us together, post it? <laughs> you know, because you know people, so I know you, you know them. It works, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, that time will come. I, when you least expect it, it's gonna happen, and that's a promise. And you know, I'm Ugandan. I never forget these things. Thank you very much. It is done. It is wallo. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> Have Thank a lovely you. day, Thank Aisha. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. Thank you. You too. Bless. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you very much um, to Madam Aisha Johansson. You heard it. When she becomes the president of FIFA, I'm gonna be right there. Please do not forget this day. <laughs> 
But jokes aside, it's really been just awesome um, talking to her and hearing her story and seeing how it is that football and through her life, she's been able to make a difference because that's what Africa's state of mind is all about. It's about people doing incredible things and them changing the African narrative. Don't forget to send us, uh, to tweet us at Africa State Mind. You can also tweet me at Lee Kasumba. And also, don't forget to review and to subscribe and to tell all your friends about the podcast, Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba um, on iTunes. And then also the Facebook group is Africa State of Mind. It's been a lot of fun. You cannot believe who's up for next week's episode. Yep, we just keep getting better and better and better. I would say goodbye in Creole, but I'm not that gangster. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.